Hi, I'm Sam Zafris, and welcome to the Ohio State English Department podcast. We'll be doing it every month in the 2015 to 2016 school year. Um, I guess I'm new and in charge, so it's good to be here. I'm a senior here at the Ohio State English Department, and I hope to have a good time this school year. With me today is my good friend and OSU graduate, Matthew Brew. Say hello, Matthew. Hello. Glad to be here, Sam. Thanks, Matt. Matt was uh, a chemistry major and now works at a glue factory researching glue. How's that going, Matt? It's a, it's a sticky situation every day, each and every day. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast, and that includes really good jokes. Very <laughs> high caliber. Uh, so today we'll be talking about um, going to Europe. Matt and I went to Europe this summer, but it was kind of a special trip because it had a lot to do with the Ohio State English Department. Um, where should we start? Let's start with uh, why we ended up getting to go. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, for seniors at Ohio State in the English Department, you have the option to do a thesis. Um which is exciting, and not many people know this, but you can apply to get money to support your thesis. Um, so my thesis was to do, uh, I'll be writing 40 poems with Andrew Hudgens this next year, and then making that into a little bit of a collection. So I said, what should I do if I have the option to get this money? I guess I've got to go to Europe, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. What else could you do? It's the only option. Absolutely the only option. So I asked Pablo, your beloved advisor and helpful advisor, and he told me, you got to apply. So I wrote a five-page essay. I'll spare you the details, but basically it has to do with uh, Europe's relationship to God and how does that follow. I applied for it, and then they gave us quite a bit of money. It was nice, and so we booked our plane tickets. Matt had just graduated at that point, mm-hmm. and we took a trip to Europe, and it was very fun. Um, now where do we start? Well, we can just walk through the trip and talk about good things that happened along the way. There were none, and <laughs> podcast is over. So, Matt... Um, Where do your parents live? Tell us a little bit about that. All right, so my parents live in London, England. Uh, I was originally born in Edinburgh in Scotland. When I was six years old, we moved to Columbus, Ohio, because my dad got a job at Ohio State University as a professor in the Department of Linguistics. Um, But both my parents are from London originally, so I grew up in Columbus, went to high school here, graduated, went to Ohio State. And my parents moved a couple times, and they ended up going back to London, England. So uh, one thing that we wanted to do uh, as part of our trip was go and see my parents. So we bookended our trip at the beginning and end with a few days stayed in London with my parents. Yeah, it was really nice. It was free. London's terribly overpriced. Mm -hmm. Super overpriced. Um... Matt, I think you might actually have to speak up just a little bit. Maybe I'm going to move the computer to you. Yeah, but um, London is a cool town. Matt knew his way around. We took the, uh, what's the train called? The Underground. Yeah, the Underground. I was very fluent in the city by the end of it. Uh, It was was pretty cool, though. Matt has a cool family. 
his uh, grandfather writes poetry, which is cool. They uh, frequently enter the British AARP poetry contest, whatever those are. Yeah, it's pretty much the same, right? Uh, it's a magazine called, I don't remember exactly. Oldies. The Oldie. Yeah, the Oldie, which is basically AARP. For those who don't know what AARP is, it's something my parents are a member of. So <laughs> hope that clears things up. Um, the first trip to London was pretty much just recovering from jet lag. Yeah. We saw Parliament, walked around. Um, went we to s- a terrible musical. Yeah, we went to an awful, awful musical with Matt's parents. <laughs> and Matt's parents took us to dinner and... Everyone hated the meal except for me, the ignorant American, but whatever. Uh, We also started counting selfie sticks, which I think will be a little bit of a motif throughout our trip. But anyway, um, so I don't know, probably three days into London, we got on the, uh, the train and hit up Paris. Yeah, we spent four days in Paris, four days, three nights, because we left on the last day on a night train. We were staying in the Latin Quarter, which is right by Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. Which was a really ma- amazing place to be, and there's a lot of uh, roots that are kind of tied to things we probably learn about in the English department. A lot of the uh, American expatriates yeah. lived in the Latin Quarter and rode around there. Yeah. Matt, would you say you learned anything about chemistry here on this trip? I learned absolutely nothing about chemistry on this trip. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, all right, when I'm speaking, I'm seeing that it's it's like fluctuating a little bit more than when you're speaking. Okay. So I don't know what that means, but okay. I guess we'll just hope for the best. And you can edit this out. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely I can edit this out, but maybe I'll keep it in for solidarity. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we get an Airbnb, right, which is, for those who don't know, you kind of basically rent someone's house out when they don't live there. So we're in this apartment. Very cool apartment. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Uh, a bit of false advertising, they said. <laughs> uh, what was it? it was like uh, right under Notre Dame was what you they said. You can see it from yeah, the window. Yeah, see it from the window. I mean, if you were a giraffe on a helicopter, you could probably see it from the window. Absolutely no I way. I think if you were a human in a helicopter, you could also see it. Yes, that's very true. So we get there. When we get to Paris, we're kind of nervous because we're obviously American. It is It is so obvious. It, the first thing we realized when we got to Europe was we couldn't wear our shorts. Mm-hmm. So immediately, in Lond- back in London, Matt and I went to a thrift store, and Matt bought his Europe pants. Still one of the only pairs of pants I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great pants, brown. Um Somewhat ill-fitting, but... Can we upload a picture with the podcast? Is that possible? Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure people will want to meet you after you're on here, so... Because <laughs> everyone's listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. But anyway, um, so we get to Europe. We're wearing our pants to try to fit in, but we also have like 30-pound backpacks on, and we decide, let's just walk from Gare du Nord, which is the north station in Paris, and let's walk all the way south to our new little apartment it was kind of pleasant but we also walked through a pretty bad neighborhood and 
we had everything important on us, and it was kind of intimidating. Uh, but we got there. I used to speak some French, still do, un peu. And uh, <laughs> so we got in the apartment. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Except we couldn't figure out how the fold-out couch worked. No. So Matt kind of sat on this, slept on this weird, kind of a kind of a half pipe of couches. <laughs> but it was great. So we walk up. We're trying to figure out how the cafes work, right? That's oh, the best yeah. part about Paris. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about that a little bit, Matt. You really like that. Yeah, so it's really interesting. The cafes in Paris, uh, as far as I know, it's one of the only places in the world that is right, like this. But that could be totally wrong. The cafes are faced, so... We've done our research. We've done a lot of research for this very important podcast. Um, So the chairs are set up, so if it was just you and another person going to get a meal uh, at a cafe in Paris, typically you would be sitting across from someone so that you can make eye contact, but it's not that way in Paris. The way it is is that all of the tables are set up so that you're sitting immediately next to the person that you're eating with, and you're looking out at the street. It's almost like the culture is set up for people watching. Yeah. We learned that uh, the French hate eye contact, which is great. (laughs) Well, the funny thing about going to these cafes in Paris is that they're so used to dealing with tourists who can't speak French that they have this really hopeful moment where they come out and ask you a question in French about whether you're eating or drinking or something. And then we just kind of look at them... Without a doubt. I mean, eventually, they didn't even have to say anything and just be like, for here to go. (laughs) They just know, taking one look. That's kind of how Paris is, though. Every other person's a tourist, so. Yeah. Um, We had a good way. I really like the method we did for exploring Europe. We'd get to a city and just wander around pretty much aimlessly, Mm -hmm. no directions, and then we would figure out the city. Um, and we got to know the cities really well. It was very fun. Yeah. What did we end up walking a day? Like seven to ten miles a day. You had that step counter on your phone. I think for the whole trip, we averaged about six or seven miles a day. Yeah. Just walking. Yeah, Fortunately, we didn't have our backpacks with us the whole time. Yeah, yeah. We were pretty bare minimum. We had our pants. Because it's great. I really appreciate pants in the summer. Never done that before, but, um... So, yeah, we saw all the classic sites, saw the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to talk about uh, the sales, the salesman. Oh, yeah. So, you basically, you go to a tourist spot, and it's just great. It, you, you think to yourself, man, I'm thirsty. I would love beer or wine or cigarettes. Or champagne. Or champagne. <laughs> you don't even have to go to a store. About 20 people in 10 minutes will come and ask you if you'd like beer, wine, champagne, or cigarettes. So, There's Matt, just legions of men walking around with plastic bags saying, beer, wine, champagne, cigarette. Cigarette, yeah. And you just keep saying no, but yeah. they, they don't have a good way to communicate with each other, so just about everyone asks you. Yeah, eventually we do say, yes, we'll take... Two lukewarm beers, please. Which kind of shows how effective their marketing. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're consistent enough, you will sell, especially to two college students, who we basically. I don't even know if I had water in the three weeks we were there. <laughs> I think I had cappuccinos, beer, wine, 
and Fanta. The Fanta, if you go to Europe, that's really the only thing you need to know is that the orange Fanta is much better. Yeah, Just if you to, take nothing else away from this podcast, get European Fanta. Yeah, yeah, European Fanta, excellent choice. So we get the we get those the beers they sell us, and we think, okay, we'll enjoy these, and then uh, they'll leave us alone. No. In fact, I think it was like a magnet because they just kept saying, you know, would you like another? Right. Yeah. Well, I don't. I want to skip ahead a little bit because there was a time when we were in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, uh, this is great. Because these guys are all over Europe. Like, uh, I don't know if they all know each other all across Europe. I think it's a definitely a corporation. Some kind of brotherhood. Yeah, some kind of fraternity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in Barcelona, we were walking by the Mediterranean. And there was this guy who came up on a bike and just started riding circles around us. We were the only people uh, close by. And he starts riding circles around us, and he asks the usual questions. He says, beer? We say no. He asks if we want wine or champagne. We say no again. Asks if we want cigarettes. We nope. say no thanks. And I don't know exactly what his thought process was, but the next question is, nothing? Nope. Weed? No. Like, no, we're good. And he says, Nothing? Coke? And that is when we said yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Matt's joking. Yeah, that's true. And, okay, when he says Coke, for the more innocent viewers, he's not talking about Coca-Cola, the soda pop. He's talking about cocaine. So I don't... Illicit drug. Yes, yes. I I don't really understand um, kind of the thought process there. Okay, so these guys don't want a beer, so I will offer them cigarettes. They don't want cigarettes... So apparently, obviously, they would want marijuana. Mm-hmm. No, they want something harder. They want cocaine. Yeah. You know, He's and trying so to find our our base level. Yeah, it's like beer, wine, champagne. Uh, we cigarettes. don't even know what I don't even know what was after cocaine. You know, um, I don't want to know what's after cocaine. Maybe like, would you like a pet lion or something? <laughs> anyway, back to Paris. So we did do some. I guess, less popular stuff, maybe. Uh, We lived right next to Shakespeare and Company, which was great. Uh, We got to visit that. Matt, do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's pretty cool. You like books. Matt does, hey, for people that said, why do you have a chemistry major here? You know, does he even know how to read? Or does he just know how to do, like, math problems? No. Matt likes to read books. Fine literature, so. Yeah, get a life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, so Shakespeare and Company is this famous little bookstore in Paris. Um, It's not very big. There's one big room you walk in, but then they have a little library upstairs. It's a nice place. But the reason it's so famous is because that's where a lot of um, really famous writers used to hang out and talk about ideas. so that's it, why I went there. Yeah, it was just cool being in a uh, in a spot where you knew Ernest Hemingway had spent hours and hours and hours chilling. Yeah, and it's right outside of Notre Dame. You look right across the river, and and you see it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, all the books there in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another example of how yeah much they expect. Americans. Absolutely. I think the only Americans work there, too. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. I spent a while in the poetry section just doing my own my own thing. 
Sorry, I just got distracted because I picked up a pen, and the pen is also a flashlight. Yeah, so, we'll upload a video of that along with yeah, the podcast. Yeah, wow, this is a really pretty bright... I feel like James Bond. Anyway, um, yeah, so that was great. Notre Dame is very cool. Um, I'm sure that it's what you kind of expect. Really, really pretty um, grandiose. Yeah. They do a good job presenting it. Yeah. Um, One of the coolest things we got to do in Paris... Uh, we so a friend of mine had been to Paris several times, and he told us about uh, a jazz club that we could go to. Yeah, this yeah, place, this is great. This place was called something Caveau de la Huchette. It was a jazz club in a cave. Yes. So we had heard about it. We were looking for it. That there was a jazz club in a cave. We found the address on Google Maps, and we're like pretty confident going to find it. But then we're just walking around, and we can't see any signs that advertise what we're saying. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out there's just this tiny door in this alley. Yeah. And we walk in. It's actually probably a normal-sized door. It's yeah. not like, you know, a dog door. Yeah. Just it's, to make that clear. Yeah, just in case you were worried about the doors over there. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a normal-sized human, you should be able to fit through this door. Yeah. But you walk in, you buy a ticket, and there's just a bar. It looks like it's just a bar. But then you descend this flight of stairs, and you end up in the heart of a cave. Yes. And it's really cool because they have uh, a jazz band. It's really good going. There's a, a guy singing a bunch of you do jazz like Sinatra songs. Yeah, he was doing jazz songs in English. But he was French, and you could tell he had a little bit of an accent. Um, but he was he was really good and. Everyone playing was really good. But there's a dance floor right in front of it where they do uh, a really notable type of jazz dancing or something. It's called bopping, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really intimidating to be there and not know how to do this dance. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, okay, if you've ever watched people, professional athletes maybe, they just have this kind of confidence in their movement. Mm -hmm. And I think these people made LeBron James look like, you know, Matt out there in the basketball <laughs> court. I've never seen dancers who are more confident in what they're doing. And they're also all about like 50. Uh, and it was very strange. Very weird to watch, but very cool. Yeah. We, uh, we were following this one dancer really closely. We named him Black Dress Shirt Guy. Believe it or not, he was wearing a black dress shirt. Um, and this guy, he could he could dance, he but could he move. he was weird. <laughs> he so he's like the you know obviously tans often, mm -hmm. perfectly groomed hair, really fit, but also like obviously aging. Mm -hmm but still in his college years at the same time. And so he starts moving and dancing with these women, and he does the weirdest moves. At one point, he kind of does like this uh, this rainbow of, of weird like like finger motions into the air, like he's throwing glitter or something. Yeah, like spirit fingers. Yeah, spirit, he does a spirit finger move. That's very good. And, and he, he would be like almost... 
like wrapping his hands around the person's head but not actually touching them. Yeah, yeah. He just like wanted to feel their aura or mm. something. Like, well, hmm, very interesting. And then he like, so you know how with like infants you might play, how many fingers do I have behind my back? Great game. Very good game. He did that while he was dancing. Um, he would also, he would kick his leg in the air as high as he could hold it for a second, and then bring it down very sensually, all to in perfect, perfect rhythm of what was going on. Um, I was pretty impressed. Mm -hmm. We were kind of amazed. Um, but then we had this the singer, and he, he saw us. We were obviously the youngest people there. Yeah. And he took all the special liking to us. Matt, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so... We had just gotten a couple of beers, and we were sitting really near the back because we were so intimidated by the quality of the dancing, and we had no idea how to do it. You really need to know the technique, it seems, uh, to be able to do it. So we're sitting at the back, and we're probably the youngest people there. This does not seem like a place that really young people usually go to. But halfway through the set, the singer starts pointing at us yeah. and trying to get our attention. And uh, just, like, asking us, not with his words, but kind of gesturing towards us that we should go dance. Mm -hmm. And pointing to women around the corner and telling us that we should go talk to them. Yeah, very weird. But like the losers we are, we just sat at the back and kept drinking our beers. Yeah. Should we have danced? Absolutely. Did we? Absolutely not. <laughs> um so he keeps doing this, and then we go outside and end up talking with him. Mm -hmm. And we're standing out there. Uh, there was some funny interaction we had where he said... Oh, he said, um, where are you guys from? Or he started speaking to us in French. And he started speaking to Matt. Now, I speak some French. Matt picked up a little bit, um, but okay. for the most part, um, he wasn't... He was kind of, you know... Incapable. Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> and so he's he's talking to this guy, and Matt's just looking at him. Like, you know, a child would look at Santa Claus. But um, he just looks at him, he's like, you are American, aren't you? And he said, yeah. So Then he cursed. I won't say that on the podcast, because this is an educational podcast. Yeah, I apologized for being American. Yeah, so we're staying out there... Um, and there's like, it's in an alley and there's a nightclub across the way. And all of a sudden we hear this rustling and someone is thrown out of the nightclub. So we're just kind of standing there as more people start to gather around. And there's this mob of people mm -hmm. fighting. It was insane. Probably about nine people fell out of yeah. one regular sized door. Yes, yeah. This door was so regular. Um, and they, they're fighting, they're kicking each other. It was insane. Um and at that point, I te my mom had like texted me, hey, how's it going? And I said, well, we're watching a huge fight in an alley. I think that might have worried her. Yeah. Um, it was awesome, though. Yeah, it was great. Well, you know, awesome that, you know, actually, it wasn't awesome. We just saw a bunch of people, like. It was the Paris experience, for sure. <laughs> so soon after um, this grand old time in Paris, we got up early and we boarded a train to Madrid. Mm -hmm. 
Wait, one question. Can we upload the video of the fight alongside this podcast? Yeah, you can probably find it on worldstarhiphop.com. <laughs> I did film it. I don't know, you know what you think of me for that, but you just got to have memories. Um, <laughs> so my mom had figured out how to kind of work the Eurail uh, pass, which I recommend doing if you're going to Europe and want to travel through. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry about it too much. It's very complicated on the internet, but you just go to the train station and basically figure it out for you. Yeah. Granted, we didn't figure it out for a while. So we're going we're headed to Madrid, which we have to take a night train. We get on the train and we go to um it's like midnight, you cool know. Chalandry. Yeah, Coulmont Chalandry, France, which I don't know if anyone lives there. Um we were the only people at the train station. Yeah. For about three or four hours. Yeah, so we walked to the only light I saw probably within 10 miles, and it's this really weird small bar slash, like... Pizzeria. Pizzeria slash hotel. And uh, it's the first time that no one speaks English. That's where my French came in handy. We got two beers. We got viciously overcharged for them, drank them, and then sat in an empty train station. It was super creepy, um, and we were almost certain that we had gotten off on the wrong stop. Mm -hmm. It was so weird. Um, So then we get on this night train, which is like sleeping in a casket, Mm-hmm. Absolutely sleeping in a casket. Um, but less comfortable. Yeah. So, oh. And you're alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt had uh, Matt had asked me, how do I say I'm a stupid American in French? Because he had a really, he had this excellent plan to make some Frenchmen laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, our roommate for the night in this night train was this French guy. Uh, he and I are talking about whatever. He takes the night train off in, and then he asked Matt something. I said, you know, he doesn't speak French. Uh, and he knows we're American. And then Matt says, Je suis un Américain stupide, which means I'm a stupid American. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's kind of funny. I would laugh if someone said that to me. Um, it bombed. He just stared at him, and at that point, the night was pretty much over, and we all just kind of died for a night in this little casket. (laughs) So we wake up in the morning. We're in the south of France doing something. I think we got breakfast, and then... Oh, yeah, in Perpignan. Yeah, I got Wi-Fi. It was really early enough that I could get in touch with some Americans, and uh, then we board this train into Spain. Uh, we're going toward Madrid. I fall asleep and then Matt wakes me up. Matt, you want to talk about this? This is pretty funny. What are we talking about? When we, uh, when we got caught on the train. Oh God. Yeah. So we're taking a train to Barcelona Yeah. because we needed to go through Barcelona. And this is when we had started to feel pretty confident about, uh, the URL passes absolutely a false confidence yeah absolutely um so there are some trains even though you have the pass you still need to make a reservation uh for the because certain trains they have assigned seatings 
So you need to make sure you have a spot. And this is a part of the trip that had already been planned for us, and we thought we had all the reservations we needed. Yeah. This was not the case, uh, because we got on this train. Everything was going great. There were not many people on it. Uh, Sam had fallen asleep. I was probably reading a book or something and trying to fall asleep. And we notice as more and more, as we pass more and more stops, as more and pe- more people come onto the train, they're all looking at their tickets. Yeah. And they're all comparing their tickets. I don't notice this because I'm asleep. Right. They're all comparing what's on their tickets with the seat numbers. And that's when we really started to panic. Yeah. Well, I started to panic. Sam was still asleep at this point. Uh, and eventually, the worst thing that could have happened happened, and someone came up and Not said... Not the worst thing. We weren't executed. <laughs> Good point. Uh, but a woman came up and told Sam that he was in her seat. Well, she told me that Sam was in her seat because he was still asleep at this point. I wake up completely out of it. And I say, we got to go because we were in people's seats. And what perfect timing. So the um, guy who's in charge of the tickets. The conductor. Yes, the conductor. We walk out and he's like, do you have your tickets? And I just pull out my Eurail pass. Totally confident that this is all I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, That means nothing, by the way. And he's like, what are you doing? He's mad. And I'm like, no, we we're fine. And then I understand, you know, okay, so we actually needed a ticket here. Um, I, and then he understands too, like, we're not trying to rip him off. Yeah. We are just total, total idiots. Yeah, it was a big uh, transition, probably in his mind, where he thought, oh, here's some Americans trying to rip off our continent. Yeah, and, and then, then he just realized, no, oh, here are just some idiot Americans. How we were. <laughs> um, and so he's like, you know, can you pay cash? And so I'm searching through every last, you know, cent. I guess they're not cents. Whatever. They are cents. I'm looking through every – so it's like $41 or euros. And I'm, I I come up with like thirty nine sixty eight, <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God, we're, we're short. And then I, I'm like, wait. This takes this me like 15, like 15 minutes. I'm, I unpacked all of my bags to find <laughs> the exact change. I couldn't find it. I was up short. Matt had looked through his stuff. And I was like, Matt, don't you have a 50? He's like, yeah, but I didn't really want to break it. And I was like, oh, my God. So we get our tickets. We go to Barcelona. We get the train. Then we're in Madrid. And it was kind of weird. It was first time being in a new place. We got a little bit lost trying to find our hostel and it was in like an apartment building Mm -hmm. it was kind of creepy and then we get in there it's just the most amazing place yeah really great um they made us dinner every night great sense of community um madrid is totally beautiful really cheap we got in there he was like here are the places you can go that aren't going to overcharge you so we're hungry we haven't really slept or eaten so we got an entire plate of food and a beer for 250 i think we like had multiple plates and it was just awesome Uh um the city is so walkable um we did our usual where we kind of got lost and then found our way um we had an awesome time there um trying to think of 
Madrid was just so chill. It was really a chill moment. We had to leave, though, earlier than we wanted. No. No. You're thinking Barcelona. Yeah, but we found out there that we would have to leave Barcelona earlier than we yeah. wanted to. Because in Barcelona, there was a huge music festival, and um, their football club was playing. Yeah. And if you know anything about Spain and soccer, it's kind of a big deal. Um, so individual beds in a hostel shut up to like 200 euros in a, in a room of six people. So we would yeah. have to leave early. That's what we found out. And so there are these guys from Florida, and when you and you're in Europe and you meet another American, it's kind of like it's a you're, big deal. Yeah, you're another American. You're around my age, so we are probably friends. We quickly found out these guys were nuts. We couldn't hang with them. We, I mean, I've never. So we were trying to get a sleep on their floor in Barcelona, um, just to save some money. We offered to pay. Yeah, because they were going to Barcelona, and they had booked at the same already. time as us. But they had, had thought ahead, probably because they were smart travelers, unlike <clears throat> Sam and me. Yeah, we were. We uh, we had good intentions, and so we're like, this could really work out. This is great. And then we're talking to him, and he's t- telling us about New Orleans. He's like, you guys ever been in New Orleans? You got to go. We're like, why? It's like, man, city never sleeps. One time, I was in a casino. It was 8 a.m., and I said, oh, shit, I'm out of cocaine. Time to go home. (laughs) Yeah. That's when we knew we were not going to stay with them in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Um, But Barcelona was cool. You want to talk about our scared straight talk right when we got there? (laughs) Yeah, so we're really excited to go to Barcelona. Everyone I've talked to says, oh, my God, Barcelona, you got to go. It's incredible. Yeah. You're going to love it. The first thing that happens right when we get there is that the hostel, the lady who was running the hostel, we again in. really nice, really awesome place. Yeah. So first, she gave us a uh, history of architecture in Barcelona, and then she warned us about the pickpockets. So and we were like, never- you know, we were aware of that our whole trip, but yeah, you know, I guess that wasn't enough for this city. Yeah, but Barcelona is really famous for its pickpockets and how creative they are. Um, and they just told it, they gave us this like 45 minute speech, probably that it was, there's no way it was 45 minutes. That's it a wild like exaggeration. It. All right. 15. Yeah. That might even be probably, probably more like seven or eight <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah. Um, but they were just telling us about all the tactics that these guys have. So Insane. they work, they work in teams. Uh, a lot of times if you're at a train station, and you're going up because they have these turnstiles that you need to go through. So they'll have a bunch of people up front at the turnstiles who are going really slow, uh, who are working with the pickpockets. And then everyone behind you will rush up. So it's crazy, like you're being smashed on either side, and then all your things are gone. Yeah. So that was one of the ways they could do it. Uh, Another thing, they said, if you're ever in a club uh, and are really... Attractive girl. This didn't apply to us. No, it definitely didn't. And a really attractive girl comes to dance with you. You should be really suspicious. Yeah. Uh, which we would be anyway if an attractive girl ever wanted to talk to either of us. Yeah. Um, but apparently the girls will come and dance with you and then say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, and then all your stuff is gone. 
either because they took it out of your pocket or because they had uh, an accomplice or something. Yeah, along with it, your heart is also broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that and that damage that damage lasts. Like you can get the other things back, but you yeah. know, you gave her a part of you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, We're we, sensitive souls. <laughs> we also uh, heard a story from another person at the hostel about a time she was on the train texting. And she saw that someone was kind of eyeing her while she was texting. And in order to get out of the train stations, you need to swipe this card again. So she said she had her phone in her hand, but she had to put it back in her pocket for a second to get her ticket out. And when she swiped her ticket to get back through and immediately goes to put her hand back in her pocket, and in that moment she's holding hands with a pickpocket who had yeah. Who had grabbed for the phone. And if that wasn't, didn't make us feel uncomfortable enough, they also would use, like, um, you know, antennas to grab your yeah. backpack while you're at a restaurant. Yeah. They worked with the mafia. And uh, they said you can't go to the police. You can't go to the police because if you go to the police, they'll just... Well, you can go. You, you, you can go, go to, to the police, but not if you're drunk. They said if you're drunk, they just don't care about you. Yeah. They also said, "Oh, here's what I was thinking of. If you're, <laughs> if you're at a shop, if you're walking down the street and someone pickpockets you, and you ask a shop owner to call the police for yeah. you, they won't do it because they know that if they call the police, the pickpockets are going to target them next. So this wasn't the case in Barcelona, but we heard of other places where pickpockets are really prominent." The hostels will give this like scared straight speech about the pickpockets and then say, now that you know this, please don't tell anyone that we told you any of this or they're going to come for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, personally, maybe it's because we didn't have much time in yeah. Barcelona. I liked Madrid better. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt there was just so much to see in Barcelona. It was huge. Yeah. Uh, we did have a good time. We met really cool people at the hostels. Mm -hmm. A couple uh, guys from Purdue, one guy from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd met really cool people in Madrid, too. So we'd grown to really like the hostels. But that was the end of our hostel living. Yeah. Um, and at that point, we had to leave early. So we just stopped in Toulouse, France, which is like a college town. Yeah. Um. It was a cool place. Uh, it was, you know, everyone was out walking. They were really into rugby. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was really actually a cool town. Um, it was a chill day. Yeah, it was really, it was like a recovery day almost. Um, we were walking around. I think we felt, I felt the most threatened there. In Toulouse? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because, so Matt and I were reading by the river. They had a nice river where everyone would hang out. Um, but you also kind of had some shady figures. And so oh, yeah. I had this weird guy come and sit uncomfortably close to me. And we had our train passes in our day pack for some reason. And he was kind of eyeing our stuff. And then we had this weird group of people come and he was on my left and this guy tapped me on my right to ask if I had a tissue, which was weird. Uh, we had pe a lot of people would ask us if we had drugs. I don't know what it was about us. Um, it might be like those guys at events that have signs that say, I need tickets. Yeah. But they're actually selling tickets. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But uh, I didn't. I didn't think about that. Also, I was wearing a red bandana, which I thought would scream tourist, but maybe it screams drug dealer, drug lord. <laughs> um, but yeah. So when this guy I was like, okay, I'm. He's gonna distract me. And this guy's gonna steal my stuff. But we ended up being okay. It was definitely weird though. Um, and then from Toulouse, we went to Brussels. The, the Cleveland, <laughs> yes, the Cleveland of Europe. We decided. If you're from Cleveland, I'm sorry. Hey, hopefully you're in Columbus now. Yeah. Which is the Paris of Ohio? Brussels had like one thing to see. From and, what we saw, yeah, and that was it. And it also rained, and we had a terrible experience at our hotel, where we got to Brussels at like 7 a.m. and they wouldn't let us into our room until about 3 p.m. Yeah. And we were dead tired because we had the worst night train experience. Matt, um, bless his soul, I (laughs) commend him for taking charge of the trains. But he he booked a night train. He was like, you know, this one was way cheaper. This is great. (laughs) Well, it was cheaper because it had upright seating. So, you know, you can just imagine. Somehow I managed to get into the fetal position and sleep. Uh, Matt's chair was broken, so it would bounce up and down, and if I remember correctly, you just didn't sleep, right? I got about one hour of sleep, I think. Yeah. I mean, we we tried to get not go commercial, American, like, commercial much as far as restaurants go, but just to give you an idea of what our time in Brussels was like, we... We were at McDonald's. We for a were at McDonald's hours. for a couple hours. We tried to go to Starbucks. I think we just needed home, and then we like had French fries for dinner. <laughs> we didn't really. We didn't do well. Um, but you know, that was the nadir of our trip. Mm-hmm. Then we went to Liège. Now I lived in Liège five years ago when I was in the eighth grade. And, that was more than five years ago. Sam. Absolutely more than five <laughs> years ago. God, I'm a senior in college. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm not a math major. So like nine years ago? Yeah. Yeah, no. Eight years ago. Eight years ago. Glad we got to the bottom of this. Yeah. For all of our listeners out there, thanks for bearing with us. And I cannot believe that you're still listening. Yeah, <laughs> if you're still listening, I commend you. Um, thank you. And l- let's just sit. I'm just telling you this. It's only going to get better from this point on in the podcast. Um, it was great. Liège was awesome. Very small. We had like dinner with a family that I knew. Um, this guy, I think he, our ho- one of our hosts, uh, offered us like this incredibly rare Japanese whiskey. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, we can't appreciate this. Um, but it was awesome. It was really cool to be in Liège. Um, I don't know. I won't bore you because most of it was just personal stuff for me. Yeah. It was nice to be back there. Um, it felt like a really genuine city. There was really no tourist stuff. Yeah. Um, if you like, if you lived in Europe and wanted uh, a town where you'd not find a tourist and still have a pretty cool experience, that'd kind of be it. Um, and then uh, from there, we spent. Good number of days there. I had my 21st birthday there. Yeah. Uh, we had, my parents uh, told us to go celebrate and 
get like a five course meal on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that lasted from seven a.m. to seven p.m. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> seven p.m. to I think we left at eleven thirty. Yeah, four and a half hours. It was exhausting. Like I've never like forty five minutes between courses. Yeah, yeah, and it, the courses were the they size weren't of- substantial. It was nice though. I had a good time. Yeah. Um. So, let's see. Then we went to Bruges, and this is the last stop before we before go. Before we head back yeah. to London, and Matt really wanted to go to Bruges, so I'll let you kind of talk about this. Yeah. So Bruges is uh, it's a big tourist destination in Belgium. I'm not sure anyone actually lives there. Yeah, we didn't meet anyone who actually lived there, but the, it's a it's a huge tourist destination because. It still looks very medieval. Uh, it was a big trading city in, I think, the 1200s, and it kind of looks very similar to how it did then. The reason I really wanted to go, my favorite movie is In Bruges. Guess uh, where it takes place. It takes place in Bruges, Belgium, believe it or not. Uh, so I was really excited. It's a really picturesque place. It's really beautiful. We were only there for a day. We stayed in a cool bed and breakfast. Got breakfast at this place, and the owner of the bed and breakfast just kind of stared at us while we ate. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. Oh man, that was, yeah. But the, the, I was scared to get breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. The highlight of our time in Bruges. So a friend of mine had told me going into this trip about this beer. It's called West Vliteren 12. Um, it's often ranked as the number one beer. In the entire world. Um, now, in order to understand kind of what goes into this beer, this beer is made by monks in a monastery, and they only make a very limited quantity each year. So in order to get this beer, you need to call ahead, and they have very restricted calling hours. You need to call ahead and... Uh, Tell them your name, social security number. I don't think you actually need to say your social security number. Uh, Credit card. (laughs) But you need like a license plate number. And they do that because once you've gone, you can't go back for another six months. So what you need to do is you go, you have to go on a whole tour, and then if you want to buy any beer, you have to buy a case of 24 beers. Um, So my friend had told me he's a big beer guy. It's impossible to get Yeah, it's very, very difficult to get. He said, if there's any way you can do this, please do it. It would be incredible. I would love it. But when we kind of found out about all those things, we quickly decided, yeah, this is almost definitely not going to happen. Just because it would be such a task. It would be such an ordeal. We would have had to find a car somehow. Um, And one of the other things about the beers... Once you've gotten it, you need to sign something that says you won't resell it, you won't uh, redistribute it at all. Yeah. So we'd given up on that pretty early on in the trip, but it was still kind of on my radar as something to look out for. So in Bruges, this is our last day before we go back to London, and we're just wandering around, and for no reason at all, we just take a turn into this store, into this beer store. Uh, and we're probably there for about 10 minutes just wandering around. They have this huge selection because beer is so huge in Belgium. And then there's this crate on the ground 
with a bunch of beers, like single bottle beers that you can buy, no labels on it or anything. Yeah, just different colored caps. Yeah, different colored caps. And I didn't exactly remember the name of it, but I saw it and I had a sneaking suspicion that that might be the beer we were looking for. So I call the attendant over uh, and I say, excuse me, ma'am, can you tell me a little bit about this beer? And she says, oh, yeah, of course. A lot of people say that this is the number one beer in the world. At which point I was like, oh, oh, my God, like this is probably the one we've been looking for. Uh, And, you know, they overcharged for it dramatically. I I think think we got seven beers for 90 euros. Mm Mm-hmm. Seven beers for about, that's probably about $110. And it usually would cost $40 to get a pack of 24. So that gives you an idea of the inflation going on here. Yeah, but she said, and this is totally true, most Belgians don't ever get to have this beer. Yeah. I mean, this is like, we'll never get this again. Yeah. So it was really cool. And, (laughs) I mean, it was funny, like... We bought it. We had it wrapped in tissue paper, wrapped in bubble wrap. We were terrified taking it back just in case we dropped it or anything. Wrapped it up in clothes. We were really worried about taking it through customs. but that Customs ended up... is a joke. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's just what I think. Yeah. So it was a really cool way to cap off our trip that we are in a random city in Belgium on a random day, and we just, by total accident, walk in to the one beer store in who knows how far that has this beer, probably on the one day that they had it. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I still haven't um, had any of my bottles. Matt, you had it. Yeah, I've I had three bottles, and they're all gone. It was pretty good, right? It was really good. Yeah. It's no uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, though. Mm-mm. I'm more of a natty ice guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the French and the Belgian population, you know, French, we have the best wine. You ever had Yellowtail? Uh, The Belgians. (laughs) Francia? Yeah, yeah. Ever heard of it? Yeah, the Belgians are like, we have the best beer. It's like, okay. Uh, Miller High Life? You ever had that? Um, And then we went back to London we told all of our stories to Matt's parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good time. Very cool time. Got to hang out with his family, see some of the sights one last time. Um, and then we went back to America. And we've been here ever since. Yeah, we have been. Um, it was a cool time. You're probably wondering, what does any of this have to do with a thesis? Well, that's a good question. Uh, no, I think it's totally... The thing with the humanities, I guess, it's not really a research, traditionally speaking, type deal. But it's life experience. You know, a lot of people go and not get their MFAs till their later 20s or their 30s because what are you, you going to write about? You can write from the imagination, but you don't quite have that much history and life memory to write about. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff. All of these things, while it's not like I was in a library researching, these are all stories to tell and share people, and that's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I suggest you get a good friend and go to Europe, and you try to do it with the help of Ohio State. We've got awesome resources here. We've got unlimited money, basically, <laughs> and they want to give it out. They want students to experience the awesome um, opportunities, and a lot of people don't apply for this. I'll tell you right now, I was emailing um, the people who are in charge of giving out the money. A student can get a maximum of $12,000 for their uh, help with the thesis. Every year they have about $300,000. Um, when I applied, I was one of 100 people. If they gave everyone the maximum, they still have more. They, they've only spent like a third of what they have. So please, apply, apply, apply. This money is for you guys, and it's awesome, and you get to do really memorable stuff. Um, Surely we will look back on this as a fond memory, mm -hmm. especially now that Matt works at a glue factory. I'm sure he's thinking back to it every day. Um, Matt, thank you for having... That's not how I should start this. Matt, thanks for being on our first Ohio State English Department podcast for the 2015 to 2016 school year. It was a pleasure to have you and share our memories. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Hopefully we can get you on here again to talk about something, but if not, stick to it in the glue, <laughs> <laughs> in the glue uh, department. And um, yeah, thanks for listening to our story here. Uh, we hope to have a lot of cool stuff. I think... Um, we're going to take a quick little break, and then we're going to have Pablo telling us some announcements for the upcoming school year, um, and then uh, you'll have to wait till next month to see what we've got to talk about. And um, as it turns out, Pablo had no announcements, so this would conclude our September podcast for the English department. Again, thanks for listening in, and the time between uh, ending last talk and checking with Pablo... I got sick, so make sure you don't catch a common cold. Anyway, I'll see you next month. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, and I look forward to next month's talk. Thanks, guys.